On this episode of Go Chuck Yourself, we're talking about Chuck, Season 5, Episode 9, Chuck versus the Kept Man. This episode's all about acronyms, so of course, Kept, in this case, stands for Knowledgeable Entertainment Podcast Time. Woo! Woo! Do not ask us how long it took us to think of that. Yes, this is uh, GCY, keeping with the acronyms, Go Chuck Yourself. My name is Chris Gillespie. My name is Aaron Arada. We are the hosts of this fine, uh, knowledgeable entertainment podcast time moment. Uh, thank you for joining us. We are talking about Chuck versus the Kept Man this week. Uh, it feels kind of strange, to be honest, to be uh, starting an introduction now and pretending that Aaron and I haven't been talking for the past half hour because we have been. <laughs> Uh, only 20 minutes of that was dedicated to figuring out how we could turn kept into a, uh, mildly relevant acronym. It was fun. It kind of reminded me of like, like shield or like, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. What's, what's another one? What's, what's like the DC shield? I don't know. Do they have something comparable? I know there's the Justice League. I'm sure they probably do. They must have something. And I'm actually glad that you brought up DC because there's something that I want to talk about, which I don't know if you are aware of at all. Maybe you already know. But if you if you don't or maybe listener, maybe you're already familiar with this. But I think it's it's something very exciting could could be on the horizon for the Chuck Chuck universe, Chuck fans. But uh, Warner Brothers recently announced that they are uh, launching a super smash brothers style brawler video game uh next year 2022 it's called multiversus and what it is is basically a super smash brothers style game so if you're not familiar with that it's a game that has uh characters from all different kinds of video games combined into one and they all you know brawl the shit out of each other right duke it out uh, a lot of people try to copy the Super Smash Brothers, which is Nintendo. Uh, they try to copy that formula for their own game. Uh, PlayStation, Sony has attempted it in the past, didn't really work out. I thought it was okay, but uh, this past fall, Nickelodeon put out their own version of it, where you have the Nickelodeon characters and whatnot. Cool. And now Warner Brothers wants to put out their own, okay. featuring characters like Batman, uh, Shaggy from Scooby Doo. All right, yep. Makes Bugs sense. Bunny. I've always wanted to see them fight. Right, exactly. So all of the Warner Brothers property characters are, are getting together and they're fighting. And uh-huh. they say that they're going to put out a lot of like there's going to be unlockable characters. Or there's okay. going to be DLC. And do you know any television shows, Aaron, that are property of Warner Brothers that we talk about every week that could potentially be featured in this video game? Ooh, is it Charmed? Uh, close, very close. Uh, warmer. Do you want to take any other guesses? Uh, mm. well, like a lot of the shows I watch in the CW, I think are like Warner, Warner Media related. I know HBO Max is also a Warner. Oh, it's Chuck. Yes, it is oh, Chuck. Oh, that makes total so, sense. Yeah, that kind of sounds like Charmed. Yeah. So we've been talking. I've you know been saying that I wish there was a Chuck fighting video game. Of course, that's like one of your main standing. Platforms. Right. I've been saying this since the you know start of our podcast. And, and now, even before then. It, yeah, sure. 
And now potentially there's a not potentially, but there's a non-zero chance that Chuck could be a featured character in this multiverses video game. I think you need to start writing letters. I think I need to start writing letters right now. But they said in the game announcement that things are going to get very weird and they're open to trying weird different stuff. Like they have. So it's not just cartoon characters. They also have uh, Arya Stark from Game of Thrones Uh is a playable character. She's a live action person. And she's okay. voiced by uh, the actress that plays her. I don't Lisa know. Williams, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Zachary Levi, he's floating around the WB offices as Shazam, doing his whole Shazam thing. But would it be weird if there's a Shazam and also a Chuck? Would that be too too much? Well, I hope they don't push. Shaz- I would. St- I don't want to settle for Shazam. I want Chuck. But okay. if they have Shazam voiced by Zachary Levi, I would yeah. accept that. That might be more plausible than Chuck, unfortunately. But I. Uh, I think this would be, I literally could, you know, this game sounds absurd and I could very much picture Chuck having moves, you know, flashing, doing Kung Fu. Yeah. I think it could happen. I think that would be really cool. And I really hope it happens. Um, I hope that Chuck has a resurgence because he's like a very, very rare character. That's very hard to get because they don't really (laughs) want to put him in the game. But like, then he becomes like the mythical character and everybody starts watching Chuck again. And then there's Uh reboots and everything like these things can happen. And then people start listening to our podcast more heavily. And then then we're famous. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So Warner brothers get on it. Got to add Chuck into that and make me and Aaron, the most successful Chuck podcasters of all time. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's really exciting. That's, that's kind of brought the mood up. Yeah. Until then, uh, we got to get back to our normal day-to-day grind of what we do here at Go Chuck Yourself, which is talking about one episode in depth. This week, we are talking about the ninth episode of season five, which is Chuck versus the Kept Man. Aaron, why don't you take it away? Woo, okay. So we start with Chuck chained up in a way that is ostensibly kind of scary for him, but is actually just obviously showing off Zachary Levi's muscles. It's it's kind of like... um. I don't know, like Thor at the beginning of the Dark World, or it's kind of like a Marvel kind of thing where like the male actor is like standing there and he's like flexing, like even mm-hmm. though he's chained up, you know. Um, and I have to say to that, damn, a very bald bad guy slash torturer asks Chuck, "How do you feel like dying today?" But this is a comedy scene, so instead of answering, Chuck just starts talking about how hard it's been with Carmichael Industries and how it's recently been a bit of a struggle to meet their bottom line. Apparently, this bald guy is actually a creative genius because he sarcastically suggests the idea of spies that care, and Chuck really likes it. Just as Torture Guy is about to cut out Chuck's tongue, Sarah and Casey rush in to rescue Chuck. Apparently, the mission involved recovering some sort of nuclear stuff that we don't ever hear about again, but Sarah's nervous about touching it, and Casey says they should be fine, as long as no one's pregnant. Sarah makes a point to make Casey take it out of the room. We cut to Casey sharing a drink with his old gun? which Gertrude apparently (laughs) returned to him with a new plaque that says returned with affection. And what I want to know here is who's Gertrude's plaque guy? Because this woman's engraving everything willy nilly, and I hope she's getting a discount. Well, we find out in this episode that, well, I mean, we knew that Verbansky core is, you know, they, they're very successful. They have a lot of money, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but this episode really, really explores the depths of uh, Verbansky's wallet. And also (laughs) that, uh, her love language is very much gifting, it seems. because Gifting she's... <laughs> and, like, personalized gifts. Right. Gifting and physical touch is how I would describe Verbansky's love language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Casey reflects on his absent lover, and Gertrude shows up, naked. Apparently she's not wanted for murder anymore, so she's back in L.A. 
Casey tries to explain that to her and or to us, but Gertrude interrupts, I didn't fly halfway around the world to be debriefed. That's your job. And once again, I have to say, damn. They make out and we cut to a sunrise. So I have to ask you, Chris, did, did you understand that these two people had sex in this scene? <laughs> what? <laughs> I, well, we've established previously that in order for you to understand characters have had sex, they need to be in bed, unclothed, wrapped in the sheets. And we didn't get that here. With Right, with one or both characters smoking a cigarette. Yes. Um, well, I am happy to say that I have been, you know, I've been studying up, and so I was able to say, you know what? When this that that edit happened, I said those characters had sex. I shouted at my TV you. and pointed and said <laughs> they had sex. You unlocked it. Continuing the thirstiest season of Chuck ever. <laughs> there was like it really what, is. what were the writers doing? Were they just like so? They were trying to channel some kind of sexual energy that's so, being repressed. Yeah. Really pent up. <laughs> just finally came out here in season five. Uh, so speaking of sex, Sarah wakes up in bed, but she's alone. Chuck is out in the kitchen, hopped up on caffeine, writing a new mission statement for Carmichael Industries. It's clandestine agents relating emotionally or care. That's way better than our acronym. Yeah, it's pretty good. While they talk about Chuck's new plans for their mission statement, Yvonne does a great job of slowly showing someone who is starting to feel queasy. I, actually, like it, it was kind of hard to watch. Like I, I was, it made me kind of nervous. Like I, she, she seemed to be like really feeling sick, and she runs off to vomit. Across the way, post-coital, Gertrude reveals that she bought Casey a cashmere V-neck sweater and wants to go to Miami with him, but Casey says he can't because of work. Also, the vibe is all weird now. I think implying that Casey thinks Rabansky is being, like, a little too clingy, I guess? Mm -hmm. We kept to the buy more, and uh, I have to say, I was excited to see Jeff and Lester, because we haven't really seen them in a little while. They're going over some recent Bymore surveillance footage because the newly intelligent Jeff suspects that something might be happening behind the scenes. They find a video of Casey sneaking around before store opening and make a plan to figure out why. Down in Castle, Casey doubts that the new CARE acronym will work in drawing in new business, but it already has, according to Chuck. Their first new client comes in and, surprise, surprise, it's Gertrude. Everyone but Chuck is, like, a little weirded out by this because she has her own spy company, but Gertrude explains that she responded to their mission statement and intends to take full advantage of it. Then, she slaps Casey's ass. It's nice. It's, uh, yeah, it's a physical touch. That's her love language. And we have to respect that. I think, you know, they could try to see if this whole new care philosophy mission statement works out for them, or they could just adopt a new business model, which is if you work... If you if you do business with us, uh, you get to have your way with Casey whenever you want. <laughs> oh, I don't know if that's really legal in the state of California or maybe anywhere that might actually violate like <laughs> the U.S. Prostitution laws. Yes. Right. Human rights. But uh, could could be an idea. Maybe they could workshop it somehow. It might yeah, need to well, get massage. They can workshop that. We'll we'll bring it up to them the next time we see him. Great. Yeah. Sounds good. So after a commercial break, we learn that Gertrude has set up a meeting with Rocky Falcone, an arms dealer in Miami. Casey is a little dubious that this mission is taking place in the same locale as Gertrude's proposed vacation, but she insists that Carmichael Industries will be acting as protection for her. When Sarah tells Casey, your girlfriend has deep pockets, he insists, she's not my girlfriend. 
Then we have a declassified scene. How fun. Where uh, we cut to Casey's apartment and he's packing for Miami. Morgan enters and asks what kind of protection Casey is bringing. Casey says that he's bringing his lightweight Kevlar vest, but uh, because his heavy duty one is too bulky for his suitcase. Morgan says that he wasn't talking about that kind of protection. This is really thirsty. He was talking about sunscreen. Oh, okay. Casey says that he's not too concerned about getting sunburnt when uh, Chuck enters. Chuck reminds Casey to bring some sunscreen and Casey scowls at him. Chuck then asks Morgan why he's not packing for Miami. And Morgan says that he views this more as a couple's retreat. and He doesn't want to be a fifth wheel. Casey has heard enough of this, so he storms upstairs. Chuck says he's totally going to forget the sunscreen. And Morgan says, I know, I tried. So this actually um, brings up a good point that I I left the note later in this episode wondering if Casey and Morgan are still roommates because it really hasn't come up in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't see Morgan hanging out at his slash Casey's apartment. So that would have helped for me to understand that, yes, they are still roommates. So later, Alex comes over for movie night, even though it is the morning in this scene. We know that because Casey is heading out to meet Verbansky, and we know their plane leaves in the AM. Also, another problem with this scene is that um, for movie night, Alex was planning for them to watch Downton Abbey, which is a film that wasn't released until 2019. Maybe she's planning to watch the show, but then I'm not really sure what she's holding because she's clearly holding a single disc. And as we all know, multiple seasons of Downton Abbey, like there's a lot of episodes, so they wouldn't fit on just one disc. So I have questions here and they're never answered. That's a good point. They do have the so they have that buy more store brand DVD by, again. By Zilla. By Zilla. Yeah. yeah, which is the only kind of movie that they have in the Chucky universe. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't put two and two together and realize like, oh, the Down Abbey movie didn't come out until many years after Chuck yeah. was done. So they're just going to watch the first maybe like first one or two discs of a season of Downton uh-huh. Abbey. Mm-hmm. But then it really shouldn't so. be called movie night because it's not yeah. a movie. I know that was that was exactly my problem with it. Thank you for understanding. Maybe Alex is some kind of time traveler. She might be. That's you know, that's an element that. Really, at this point in the season or at this point in the series, wouldn't really throw me off that much. No, that amount of retconning has been going on enough for the past <laughs> few episodes and will continue to happen. So honestly, I also would not be surprised. So back at the Bymore, Jeff has made an idea board about how and why he thinks Casey and Sarah are in the CIA and Chuck might just be their asset. The only thing he can't crack is the apparent fourth member of their team. That is until Morgan walks in. Morgan wards off their questions and threats by insisting that he's been conducting his own investigation. He convinces Jeff and Lester that the mystery agent is Devin. Meanwhile, after some unspecified air travel, we see Chuck, Sarah, and Verbansky hanging out at a pool in Miami. Sarah has a sexy coming-out-of-the-pool montage while Chuck drinks. We find out that Sarah is pointedly not drinking. Meanwhile, dressed as a bodyguard, Casey follows a bogey about to give a package to Gertrude. After pushing the delivery boy into the pool, Casey learns that Gertrude has bought him a Speedo. I get really excited here because I thought it wouldn't be that crazy in the language of Chuck if we got like a sexy Casey coming out of the pool in a Speedo montage. Mm. But apparently Adam Baldwin, like maybe he just wasn't into that. While all this is going on, Sarah tells Chuck she doesn't want to go in the hot tub with him, so instead she goes to give Casey a pep talk in his changing cubicle, which is actually kind of cool because he refuses to put on the Speedo, and she says, do you know how many skimpy outfits I've had to put on for this team? It's a little minimized by the pool sequence literally a couple seconds ago and the fact that she's like currently wearing a bikini, but I'll take it. It's kind of funny. 
Casey points out that Sarah's been a little emotional lately and asks her what's been going on, but she doesn't answer and leaves. Back at the pool, Chuck realizes that Gertrude has disappeared. As the team rushes to find her, she radios Casey for help and says she's in the presidential suite. He rushes to help her with guns drawn, but what she needs help with is, uh, sex. Sarah sneaks in to help as well, but she sees, presumably sees them fucking. When she comes back out, Chuck asks her what's wrong, and she replies, everything, it's all wrong. Later that night, the four of them sit silently at the dinner table uh, at the hotel as Falcone and his men approach. Falcone sits down and gets right to business. He tells Verbansky the price for the guns that she wants. She tells him what her budget is, and they seem to agree because Falcone gets up and tells her to meet him at his private gun range at midnight. Casey is apprehensive about Verbansky going to an unsecured location, but she reminds him that she wants those guns, and when she wants something, she gets it. Uh, she's also rubbing Casey's leg under the table while she says this. Chuck breaks the tension by proposing a toast and saying that this is the best operation ever. Verbansky says that she believes in working hard but playing harder. Casey can't take any more of this and gets up and goes to the bar where he is identified as Mr. Verbansky by the bartender. <laughs> and wouldn't you know, this kind of rubs him the wrong way. Chuck gets up to go have some bro talk with Casey, uh, which I can listen to because I myself am a man. Yeah, I actually didn't listen to this scene, so okay. um, please tell me what they say. Okay, good. Because I like I didn't want to try to say like, hey, Aaron, you probably should skip over like minutes, you know, like 16 no, to minutes but 17. Like, but it's it's kind of like unspoken. Right. Like you, you've done such a good job of just kind of like intuiting that you weren't supposed to listen to these private female conversations. Right. So I just I just thought I would show you the same respect. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so at the bar, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to violate, you know, the, the sanctity of man talk just for this episode and this episode only. I really appreciate that. Thank you. As if two male characters have never talked in private in Chuck before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the bar, Chuck offers Casey some relationship advice. Casey says Verbansky doesn't want a relationship. She wants a lackey. Chuck retorts by saying that Casey has to do a better job of picking up on the little clues and signals that Verbansky is giving him. And I legitimately thought that Casey was going to respond by asking why he should take this advice from the man whose wife clearly thinks she might be pregnant. He does not, though. And uh, he and Chuck head back to the table where Chuck decides to put his own advice into action by ordering Sarah's dinner for her. Chuck orders a vodka martini, which Sarah clearly does not want, and then a rare steak, which... I'm not sure a rare steak's not something that pregnant women should eat. Yeah, I I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that's what it's implying. I I know pregnant women aren't supposed to eat sushi. Um, okay. And I, like, I, I guess raw meat is probably also maybe a no-no based on this. Or it could just be that she doesn't want that because it sounded pretty gross. Right. Chuck describes it in a, uh, he wants the rarest steak possible. This, this just makes Sarah nauseous. Yeah, uh, it's a huge failure and everybody can see this besides Chuck back in Burbank. Morgan tells Devin that Jeff and Lester think he's some kind of super spy because apparently they watched the DVD bonus features for season one and learned <laughs> about the original idea to make Devin an undercover Russian agent. And they think it might actually be happening now four seasons later. Morgan explains that using his non-poison brain, Jeff has become dangerously close to uncovering the truth about Team Bartowski and that he needs Devin to throw them off the scent by pretending to be a spy. Uh, Devin agrees, asking, can I go formal? We then cut to Devin exiting his apartment in a white suit coat, talking into an earpiece about the device that he acquired. Lester and Jeff spy on this from inside the walls of the courtyard. I'm not really sure where they're supposed to be or how they got there. 
Back in Miami, Team Bartowski arrives at Falcone's indoor gun range. Falcone compliments Casey's uh, V-neck sweater, and Casey is threatened by this and asks if they can just get to business. Falcone presents Verbanski and Casey with his fancy new machine gun uh, called the Aegis and lets Casey try it out. Casey fires uh, one of the targets in the range and is thoroughly impressed. Verbanski says that she will take an order for them and hands Falcone a briefcase uh, containing $3 million in cash. Everything seems to be going smoothly when Falcone snaps his fingers and says, no deal. A team of Falcone's men jump out from the shadows, also holding their own Aegis guns. Casey opened fires on them with the Aegis, but none of the men go down. Team Partowski is confused, and Falcone explains that the Aegis has an anti-friendly fire feature that prevents it from shooting at someone also holding an Aegis that is signed into the same security code. Sounds like a good idea to me. I don't know how realistic or practical this is, but it is a clever idea. Yeah. Falcone says that the feature is ingenious, and Verbanski sarcastically agrees before snapping her fingers. As soon as she snaps her fingers, her Verbanski core SWAT team bursts in through the walls of the gun range. They quickly outnumber Falcone and his men, and Verbanski says that she'll actually be taking those guns for free now, and then she knocks Falcone out. Chuck, once again, does not understand what's going on, uh, which is just a running motif for this episode. <laughs> Casey explains that Verbanski only hired Carmichael Industries as a decoy team to lull Falcone into a false sense of security. Verbanski says that she truly needed Casey for this and that their real mission starts now, now that Falcone is out of the picture. Casey's had enough of this and storms out, so Chuck and Sarah chase after him. They remind him that they need to follow through on Verbanski's contract to get the full payday. Chuck reminds Casey about his little pep talk at the hotel bar, and Casey finally calls Chuck out on not adhering to his own advice. Chuck doesn't know what he means by this, and Casey says that Chuck has been so obsessed with his new care manifesto that he hasn't noticed that his own wife thinks she's pregnant and is hiding it from him. Chuck doesn't believe this to be true, but then Sarah gives him a rather serious look and says, Chuck. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Can I just stop you for one second? This Please. is This is all fairly dramatic, but I don't think it's fair of Verbanski to withhold payment because they did complete the mission that she had originally set for them. Uh-huh. So if she were to say, actually, there's a second mission and I'm not going to pay you until that's done, which mm-hmm. is what they seem to think she would do, that would be pretty crappy. And I don't, I don't uh, support those business practices. <laughs> that's true. I didn't really think of it like that. Um, now that we are past the point in the episode, like I, I'm sure we'll talk about it at, towards the end, like when we're kind of reviewing everything. But the <laughs> at what point was it obvious to you? Like it's the 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 clues that Sarah thinks she might be pregnant are so heavy handed and so consistent <laughs> throughout the entire episode. I think that part of the joke is that Chuck isn't picking up on them, but the viewer uh-huh. does pick up on them. Uh-huh. But there's just so many of them. They like went through every possible like I think I'm pregnant trope in the in the book. I think you're right. The other thing that maybe would have made sense um, or like maybe this would happen later in the episode. But like it seems like because the previous episode was called Chuck versus the baby and was like playing with the idea of Sarah's motherhood and stuff, it would kind of make sense if they were to reference Molly at all and Sarah's past with baby things and maybe her feelings on seeing Molly again and thinking about them having a family. I feel like that would make sense. That doesn't happen at all. Not at all. This just happens to be the week that this happens yeah. the week after the Chuck versus the baby episode. Yeah. 
So we'll talk about that more later. We cut to a commercial break and we return. Chuck and Sarah are looking right at me. No, it's 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 filmed that they're looking right into the camera, oh, but they're okay, actually thank God. it was really scary. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're looking at a pregnancy test. The test does its thing and they find out that Sarah is not pregnant. We do not see Sarah peeing on the stick. So if that's your thing, that's not covered in this yeah, episode. That doesn't happen. No, no, no. No, we're, we're led to believe that she does do that. Uh, rather than jumping for joy and high fiving about the negative test, Chuck and Sarah have a quiet moment where they both say that they are relieved. Chuck starts to feel the gravity of the moment. And starts to spiral when contemplating he and Sarah's future as spies. Sarah tells him that he's spiraling and tells him to calm down and that the two need to get back to work. At Castle, Verbansky explains over telecom that the second more important part of the mission is tracking down and arresting the major drugs and arms smuggler that Falcone was working with on behalf of her clients who are the FBI. With Falcone's help, Verbansky has pinpointed the arms smuggler whose name is Pedro St. Germain. Uh, he's currently hiding in the Florida Everglades. Sarah agrees to the mission on her and Chuck's behalf, but Chuck has reservations about it now uh, that he's thinking about he and Sarah as prospective parents. Verbansky and Sarah tell him it's not a big deal and to get over himself. Up in the Buy More break room, Casey is at his locker where he throws his cashmere sweater in the trash. He he doesn't want that anymore. It's, it's a brand new sweater, That's harsh. Casey. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. you could like... You could donate it. You could probably yeah, get absolutely. like a pretty penny if you wanted to like sell it on Poshmark. But no, uh-huh. he hates that thing. Yeah, just chucks it right in the trash. Morgan walks in and sees that Casey's upset and asks if he wants to talk about it. Morgan, to his credit, does uh, save the sweater. He and does, yeah. Tries to maybe keep it for himself. Casey explains that Verbansky took uh, them all on an all expenses paid vacation mission to Miami, which he did not appreciate because Casey's a real spy. God damn it. Morgan nods and chuckles and says that Casey is a spy and that's why he has spy work for him to do. To which Casey's like, what are you talking about? We cut to Devin walking down a city street dressed like a spy. He drops something in a drop box, I guess. I'm not really clear what this is. Mm -hmm. It's like a mailbox, but anyone can access it. Yeah, those are all over the place in L.A. (laughs) Hey, do you want to give this to someone, but also don't care if it gets stolen? Try out these (laughs) drop boxes. Yeah, exactly. For... The person that you intended for or a complete stranger. You'll never see the item again. <laughs> so he puts his thing in this drop box and then, you know, says, I've made the drop into his earpiece and then walks away. We zoom in on Jeff, who's in disguise as like a businessman. Like man. a businessman, yeah. He's in the background. He's got a messenger bag and glasses. Yeah. He looks good. He pages Lester to say that he has eyes on the drop zone. We then cut to Lester, who is disguised as a woman. A very pretty woman at that. He looks very good. I'm right. like, I don't, I don't think there's anything offensive about this. They don't make any like offensive jokes, which like knowing Chuck, they definitely could. Uh-huh. Um, I think he's just in drag and he looks pretty good. Yeah, no, he's in disguise. It's pretty tastefully yeah. done. Um, yeah. He looks like a, a decent number of the women that I match with on Hinge, which <laughs> do with that information what you will. You know? Yeah, I think you maybe like Jeffster a little more than you've been letting on. <laughs> uh, so he, you know, starts to run to meet Jeff at the Dropbox where they find a business card that reads Woodcomb and Associates on the front and has a handwritten message on the back. Apparently, Devin is going to be having some kind of exchange in the home theater room at like 10 p.m. or something like that. Out in the Everglades, Verbansky and her team find St. Germain's hideout and start to approach when they are flanked by St. Germain's men who are hidden in the brush, St. Germain manages to capture Verbansky without a problem. We then cut to Los Angeles, where Casey is still asleep because it is uh, three hours behind Florida. His phone rings and sees that it's Verbansky, and he answers it. 
Casey starts the conversation off by saying that he assumes that she wants to apologize, but come to find out it's St. Germain. He's using Verbanski's phone. St. Germain is calling Casey to say that he wants $10 million by that night. Otherwise, he's going to kill Verbanski. Casey doesn't believe this, thinking it's just another ploy on Verbanski's part. So he's rather flippant during the whole conversation. St. Germain is thrown off by this uh, and Casey's apathy, but explains his terms nonetheless. Verbanski manages to spit out the gag that's in her mouth and shouts to Casey that uh, he shouldn't pay anything to St. Germain, at which point St. Germain smacks her across the face. Hearing this exchange, Casey realizes that this probably isn't part of Verbanski's like stunt or anything like that. She might actually be in real danger. So he, Chuck and Sarah head on back to Florida. So the team heads to the Everglades with a special briefcase containing counterfeit money and a hidden compartment for Casey's gun. They plan for Casey to sneak onto the compound pretending to be unarmed, while Sarah will act as a sniper behind the scenes. As Casey makes his way toward the main entrance, Chuck and Sarah sneak around back. Despite her reassurances of Chuck earlier, Sarah begins spiraling herself about the conduciveness of spying and parenting. Chuck tells her to stop spiraling, and the two of them split up. I mean, like, not they, they don't, like, break up. They just go in different <laughs> directions in the woods. Just you to be clear. Maybe this isn't working out. Yeah. You know, maybe we Divorce. should just call it a day. Divorce. <laughs> Meanwhile, Casey brings his special briefcase to the drop point with Gertrude and St. Germain. Sarah is almost to the compound to help when she gets attacked by a guard who throws a flash grenade at her. Chuck rushes to the rescue and Sarah gives him her gun because she can't see, which might be a problem because she kind of needs to see to shoot. Overcomes, Casey says the code word they had previously discussed, indicating he's ready for Sarah to start sniping, but she doesn't respond. He keeps trying, and this eventually leads him to confessing to Gertrude that he loves her. After a moment, St. Germain realizes Casey must be trying to signal someone with his speech. Just then, Chuck bursts in through the window. He has the Aegis gun with the safety turned on, so no one can shoot at them. But unfortunately, once Chuck has taken out all the guards... St. Germain shows up with a shotgun that doesn't have this safety feature. Luckily, Sarah drives in. It's unclear if she can see now or not, but she drives in in one of St. Germain's compound vehicles and takes him out, hits him. Everybody's like, ooh. (laughs) Which she, I was like, oh, she hits him because she's still blind from the, uh, the smoke grenade. But no, she can see again. Yeah, she just wanted to hit him, I guess. Getting get out some of that, that rage, getting out some of that anxiety spiral, you know, as you do. Yeah. Back in L.A., Sarah is working on a computer. When Chuck wakes up, she admits she was kind of hoping she was pregnant, and what she's working on is a list of baby names. And I just want to go through her list. I don't sure. know if you uh, wrote it down, if you remarked upon it, but it is Landon Lane Lawrence, but it's spelled with an A, so it's Lawrence. Levi, Lewis, and Liam. So she seems to have a thing with L's, which if I were Chuck, I would be a little weirded out considering like her ex's name was Bryce Larkin, and she's clearly got a thing for like La Lar names, you know? Huh. Um, but maybe that's kind of chill because she wants to honor Bryce. Like, because it was Chuck's best friend as well, so maybe he would be into that. I don't know. Yeah, I truly could not figure out the L connection because I did yeah. see that they're all L names. I noticed, obviously, that one of the names was Levi, yep. uh, similar to... Oh, that makes sense, yeah. Call out to shout out to Zachary Levi. But I was like, yeah, what was... I'm like, what's the deal? Because then I'm like, so the the baby's last name would probably be Bartowski unless it was like Bartowski Walker. Mm-hmm. But why the L? 
I couldn't really figure it out, but she's got yeah, something she just for loves L names. Which I guess is that how people? I mean, you we you know you've not had to do this. I've never had to do this. But do people start with a letter that they like and then pick out the baby name <laughs> from that, or do you just pick out names that you like in general? I because I would well, assume they are be- typically sorted like a baby name dictionary would be sorted alphabetically. Uh-huh. So like I could see it happening that you kind of like make like. Wherever you start, you're going to see a lot of letter names with starting with that letter. So you might like see a lot of L names and that just might be the section that you gravitate towards. I don't know. It's weird. Or she like had a baby name dictionary, but only found one page of it and was like, oh, yeah. this must be the entire list of names that are available. I guess just so. The L page, I guess. So in their conversation about this, Chuck agrees. Also, it would be- wait, hold on. Why was it only boy names? Why didn't well, she, she have girl a, names? She had a boy. She had a girl name list as well, but that was covered up by her oh, okay. uh, tab of boy names. Do you think those also started with L? Probably. I was right? wondering, but we didn't see. Huh. So in their conversation, Chuck agrees it would be exciting to have a baby and reflects on how far they've come as a couple. Across the way, Gertrude brings Casey a bulletproof vest. She apologizes for acting so weird lately, but says she was really just trying to say she wants to be close to him. All is well at last, and it's cute because um, instead of being weird with each other, now they're being just regular awkward. Gertrude invites Casey on a two-month mission to Dresden. He's into the idea, more so than the trip to Miami, but he doesn't want to be far away for two months because... We cut to Alex and Casey sitting together in Casey's apartment drinking beer. Casey tells Alex about Gertrude and how he'd like them to meet, and Alex is pretty excited. Also, we find out that Casey is a fan of Downton Abbey, although I've seen Downton Abbey and the plot he's describing uh, seems like the impression of what Downton Abbey is, but it doesn't seem like the writers have ever actually seen Downton Abbey because I don't think that ever happens. Ooh, Aaron's putting the writers on notice. It's like, it's so much more dramatic. Like in season one, like they kill a man and then have to hide his body. Like, it's not all about, like, putting the wrong spoon on the table, people. Come on. Casey, it sounds like he would actually be into the real Downton Abbey. I've never seen Downton Abbey, so I thought this was an accurate portrayal of what, like, this is how I would have written a Downton Abbey viewing viewing scene, which obviously would have been. I mean, yeah, so that makes sense, considering it seems like the writers have never seen it. At the Bymore, Jeff and Lester present their case to Big Mike and take him down to the home theater room to catch Devin in the act. They find a trap door and head down into some sort of abandoned basement and find Devin working out down there. He says he's been so secretive about everything because some of his exercise techniques and equipment aren't exactly legal in the U.S. Disappointed, Lester tries to spin their search for a conspiracy into a search for friendship, but Jeff won't be dissuaded. He realizes the paint on the abandoned basement's wall is still wet. Based on his experience, I guess, at some sort of mental health facility where they used fake backdrops to increase patient morale. Jeff takes the opportunity to pick up one of Devin's weights and just hurl it through the wall, which in fact does turn out to be just a sheetrock facade. Jeff and Lester get a full view of Castle, including Morgan. um, I don't think Casey is there, but Morgan, Chuck and Sarah are all sitting at a table. And they realize that they were, in fact, right about there being a spy conspiracy going on right under their noses. Before they can react further, Morgan tranks both of them and they pass out. And that's where we end. Pretty exciting. Jeff and Lester find out about Castle after all this time. What's going to happen? Who knows? I guess you'll have to uh, tune in next week to see (laughs) what's going on with that. That's true. Uh, That is Chuck versus the Kept Man. Uh, we didn't really touch upon it, but I guess the kept man is because Casey is feeling like he's a kept man for Verbansky. 
Which I, I, I don't know that that's what that means. And I think it's kind of like weird that he's reacting that way. But we'll, we'll get into that. Okay. <laughs> uh, I would look, I, I know Verbanski's a fictional character, probably also wouldn't really be in my uh, target demographic. But if she was, I would absolutely be a kept man for Verbanski, you know. You want to be like a trophy husband. Right. Like I would obviously, I'm significantly younger than Carrie Ann Moss. So it would be a cougar kept man. It would be more of a true kept man situation. Like I would be a sugar baby for, <laughs> for Bansky. I would do that in a heartbeat. I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. I, well, I was thinking like I would also do that, but she is, of course, one of my contemporaries. So it might, um, it would be a little bit of a more equal ground situation, I think, because we are so similar in age. Right. Would that be weird for you if I was Carrie Ann Moss's sugar baby? And I like that would be kind of too weird for you. Yeah, it would be. Well, it would be pretty weird because like you are significantly younger than her, but I am not because um, we're we're the same age. Time is a flat circle here at Go Check Yourself. <laughs> it's something that happens all the time. An infinite number of times, but also maybe has never happened before is Chuck Mary Kill. We're just constantly in a cycle of always doing Chuck Mary Kill. And today is no different. Maybe this is the first time we've done Chuck Mary Kill. I don't know. It's all a blur. Aaron, what would you like to marry this week and shower with gifts and uh, physical touch? I really, really enjoy the Jeff and Lester B plot, which is not something that I say very often here on Go Check Yourself. But maybe ever. Maybe ever. Um, I thought that it was a long time coming that mm -hmm. Jeff and Lester would discover Castle and begin to um, unravel the conspiracy going on around them. I thought that it was handled in a way that was both tasteful and funny, and I did not really expect them to actually discover what was going on. Um, so I thought that the ending was appropriately exciting. Um, and I just like really found this like the the actual A plot of the episode, I feel like was pretty standard. But I thought that this one was genuinely funny in a way that the Bymar plots this season haven't really been. It was like a breath of fresh air. What about you? I thought there was a lot of uh, funny moments of this week, like funny uh -huh. little moments. I thought there was kind of this uh, attitude sort of that some of that kind of came through in some of the dialogue. I appreciated Sarah reminding Casey that she has to flaunt her body for tons of missions and Casey pointing out that he wasn't actually present for her stint as a belly dancer, which I enjoyed as a devoted fan because I knew that Casey was not there for that. Yeah. And so I appreciated that little uh, recognition. You were you pointed at the screen and you said, that's wrong. Casey wasn't there. And then Casey said he wasn't there. And you were like, thank you. Right. I did a lot of shouting at the television this week. <laughs> I also enjoyed St. Germain not being fooled by Casey's repeated use of the word care, which was the code word. Yeah. Uh, St. Germain says, I don't know who you're trying to signal, man, but it all stops right now. Because <laughs> Casey very clearly is trying to signal someone that's not working. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I appreciated that. Um I also, we didn't talk about, talk about Jeff trying to touch Lester's butt when he was dressed up as a woman. Um, oh, which I, didn't, I, I didn't see that, so that's Lester, why. Lester very playfully swats his hand away and says, not now, Jeffrey, or something like that. And I that's thought that cute. Was, I thought it was cute. So um, also, we didn't touch about touch on Big Mike's devotion to his step count, which really was oh, only yeah, it was in kind the of a new thing. <laughs> it was a new thing that was introduced at the very end of the episode. But he basically like is willing to help Jeff and Lester on their you know mission because he needs to get more steps, which was I thought very charming and classic Big Mike. It is, and it's also like it's one of the things that's kind of relevant still today. Everybody's talking about their step counts, even even here in twenty twenty one. Yeah, Big Mike was a little ahead of the curve. I think he had yeah. like a separate uh, pedometer instead yeah, of a did. wearable mm -hmm. tech or yeah. on his iPhone or anything. So. Yeah. 
yeah, nice little nice little moments sprinkled throughout. I, I appreciate it. I agree. And uh, what would you like to run over with a Humvee this week, Aaron? I really was viscerally uncomfortable with the scene of Chuck ordering for Sarah. Um, I I don't know. Like, I understand what they were trying to do. And it's not necessarily, like, offensive or egregious in the way that some of my kills usually are. But it just mm-hmm. made me so uncomfortable. And I hated it so much. Okay. Um, I hated seeing Sarah's discomfort, everyone at the table's discomfort. I just got a lot of secondhand embarrassment. So I was not really a fan of that one. So uh, we don't actually I don't think we've ever done this, but I think I want to turn this uh, this little Chuck Mary kill into a game of kinds. All right. Uh, So this (laughs) you just answer honestly or truthfully, whatever comes to mind. I'm going to list a uh, a number of men, I guess, from Chuck. And you have to tell me whether or not you would allow them to order for you at a fancy restaurant. Okay. This sounds fun, actually. Okay. So would you let Shaw order for you at a restaurant? Yes. Would you let Volkov order for you? Yes. Okay. Uh, would you allow... Is this Volkov or is this um, like when he's Harvey Winterbottom? Uh, well, have follow-up question. Let's Harvey Winterbottom then. Still yes. Okay. So we're three for three currently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how about Chuck? No. No, Chuck can't order for well, you. Well, we clearly saw that he was bad at it. So. Okay, Casey. Mm, no. No. I don't think, well, because, like, I trust Casey more than Chuck to be observant, but mm-hmm. I don't feel like Casey's idea of, like, a good meal would really match mine. Mm-hmm. So, like, it would depend how well we knew each other. Okay. How about Bryce? Yes. Devin? Yeah. Okay, how about me? You? Me, yeah. You're not a character in Chuck. No, but I'm Chuck-related. I'm tangential to Chuck. Yeah, okay, I feel like I would let you. Okay, cool. That's nice. What would you order for me? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I would get... <laughs> uh, I would get... Uh... I would get a veggie burger for you with sweet potato fries. Okay, I mean, that seems like a very that, safe... Yeah, Yeah. I okay, would, that sounds fine. That. Okay, cool, yeah. good. I don't know okay. what I'd get you for... I guess the drink would kind of depend, maybe. Yeah, I don't really it know depends on the you, occasion. Yeah, I don't really know what you drink these days, but... Oh, I'm gonna. we're going to have to go over that later then. <laughs> I would get you a beer. A single <laughs> unspecified beer, beer. please. <laughs> One of the beers... I think you like craft beer. I don't really know how IPA plays into that, but that's a term that's bandied around these days. Um, you know. Well, I actually, I mean, I basically only drink lagers now or gluten-induced okay. beers. Right. So you have that's to get a little bit more specific. So I would not allow you to order for me. Okay, that's fair. That's fine. So that was a fun tangent. What were we doing? Uh, you were going to say you're a kill. Yeah. Great. So did I miss something or did the Aegis guns not really play that big of a role when Falcone explains them like they zoom in on them and make them seem like they're going to be like this bigger moment, but they didn't really well, come Chuck into play. Uses them. Chuck uses it so that no one can shoot at them like he uses it as a shield so that he doesn't have to shoot anyone. That's right, the only way it comes back. That was that's the only thing I tracked, but that was yeah. it because yeah, it seems so. pretty unnecessary and forced. Like they make it seem like these are these guns that you can't fire at. I'm like, oh, there's going to be something with 
the codes like they're going to swap out like someone's going to be like you can't shoot at me because we have the same code and then someone's gonna be like do we and then blow their head off <laughs> that's a different show right that didn't happen so i was just kind of miffed because i was like why did we even explain these gu-? like yeah also it was kind of the chuck technology weapon thing where it's like is this believable or is this absurd yeah. i'm like maybe it's kind of believable but maybe not so i don't know i was just kind of thought that was a little weak now we're moving on to the scooter scale where I will absolutely order for Erin. I'm going to order her some corn dogs, some piping hot corn dogs, but I don't know how many corn dogs Milady wants. Oh, I hated that. <laughs> uh, so I guess you will have to order yourself, Erin. How many corn dogs do you want for this episode? For this episode, I'm going to order three corn dogs. Okay. Um, I want to point out that the real villain of this episode was not Falcone or St. Germain. It was, in fact, Casey's sense of toxic masculinity. It's not a shock to see that even though he does clearly have feelings for Rubansky, Casey would feel weird at the prospect of being in an actual relationship. And, of course, I know that like managing your partner's love language and learning what that is is a struggle that many couples face. But it was kind of... Um, eye rolly to see Casey like getting uncomfortable about the gifts or like not just uh, communicating with her about what he wants. Of course, no one in Chuck communicates with each other, so it's not that much of a surprise. Um, so I I had mixed feelings. I thought it was a little bit annoying, but I guess was in character and I liked where we ended up with it. I, as I mentioned, liked the Jeff and Lester B-plot, and I liked where the episode ended. I thought that was fairly exciting and fairly shocking. So um, I, I just found it to be um, a decent episode. It was not by any means incredible for me as a viewing experience, but I thought it was pretty good. So three corn dogs. All right. What about you? I will also be dining on three corn dogs wow. this week. We're going to be uh, pretty full, I would say. <laughs> I appreciated that we got a Casey forward episode after a Sarah forward episode last week. I'm glad they brought Verbansky back. And I think they actually did it in a way that resolves her arc with Casey, but it's also forward looking. You can understand and maybe see where their relationship is headed. Once the series ends in a few more episodes overall, I thought there were some fun moments, but I also think the pacing for this episode kind of felt strange to me as the episode kind of dragged on which may have been because it was somewhat more dialogue heavy than action heavy this week. Sometimes I think the action, you know, there's a lot of ac- action. The episodes move a little bit faster. Sometimes yeah, sense. there was a lot of dialogue. So, and I know, like I said earlier, I know part of the joke was that it's super obvious that Sarah thinks that she might be pregnant, but Chuck doesn't notice. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like that was really just kind of too obvious and too forced. Like, I think they could have pared that down. Like if they took away, 50% of those bits or those lines mm-hmm. it still would be obvious enough but not as like oh my god like I thought yeah. it was borderline I was getting frustrated with Chuck which yeah. once again may have been the intended response but I thought Chuck was kind of annoying this week and so uh but yeah I'm glad that we got a Casey centric episode I'm glad that Casey is shaping up to have like a happyish ending hopefully yeah. when everything is said and done but I will probably forget about this episode in a week oh I forgot about it now congratulations <laughs> what did you learn this week um i learned that uh you should not give your partner a deep v cashmere sweater because they will throw it in the trash i don't think that seth would i don't know he doesn't really strike me as a cashmere v-neck sweater guy like i think that's probably fair you probably shouldn't give one to him 
yeah, I'm I'm not gonna get one because uh, he might he will throw it in the trash. Good, I'll find don't it do in the it. trash later. You will. You'll have to return it. Hold on to your receipt if you do get him one. But okay, good. Also a good <laughs> idea. Thank you. That's that's my other lesson. Uh, this week I learned that Casey, like myself, has an avoidant attachment style. If you don't know what attachment styles are, congrats. You haven't had to fall down that particular rabbit hole because your life has been going too well so far. Uh, it was the first time I've probably ever watched an episode of Chuck. And it was like, I can relate to Casey in this. Like, Casey's really hitting home with my life. So that was kind of eye opening for me. Um, so I guess I will be talking about that in therapy this week. Yeah, I got to uh, got to inspect that particular uh, realization. <laughs> I don't think because I didn't really I didn't interpret Casey's behavior to necessarily be like toxic masculinity. I thought I was seeing it coming from more of a place of like fear or vulnerability and not uh -huh. so much like my masculinity is being challenged, but more so that his independence is being challenged. Because he's a very I independent guy. I think um, that's a much more charitable way of looking at it than uh -huh. how I was looking at it. Yeah. Um, I think mine was based solely on the episode title and the one-time use of kept man mm -hmm. as um, that's kind of a more toxic idea. But I think generally, yes, the um, just discomfort with showing emotion and um, like being in a committed relationship and what that means. I, I mm -hmm. understand how he could be uncomfortable with that. And it doesn't necessarily have to be toxic masculinity related. Right. So I'm glad this has been a, uh, <laughs> affirming a, uh, episode for you. <laughs> affirming episode for me. Uh, Aaron has said that I'm not toxic, at least in this case, which is always good. Like to not be toxic during these episodes. Always something I strive for. Um, uh, so, yeah, I guess we have talked about everything we could possibly talk about for Chuck versus the Kept Man. So we will be moving straight ahead. The season's chugging along. We'll be picking it up next week with Chuck versus uh, Bo. I'm assuming it's Bo Bice, runner-up contestant on American oh, Idol. Great, great contestant. <laughs> great contestant, um, great yeah. hair. Yeah, so good. Looking forward to seeing maybe they'll, like... Maybe Bo Bice will stop by for a performance of his uh, the one song that he had. I can't what even was it remember called, what Chris? it was. <laughs> I want to say the real thing. Let me double check. Hold on. That's the, that sounds right. Well, I was going to say that he, of course, dated my love, Diana DeGarmo, but I think that was actually Ace Young. Correct. Ace Young, who I sometimes get confused with Zachary Levi. Uh, Bo That's Bice, weird. yeah. His one song was called The Real Thing. Okay. So maybe we'll hear it next time. Until Looking then. Looking forward to it. My name is Chris Gillespie, reminding you that food is sexy. My name is Erin Arada, reminding you that anything is possible. Anything is possible. Anything. Anything is possible, like Chuck being featured in the new DC video game, Multiversus. Let's make it happen. Let's put those vibes out into the universe and we can all play as Chuck and beat the shit out of Bugs Bunny. Isn't that what we all want? To just be Chuck and to beat up Bugs Bunny? Yeah, that is what I want. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gochuckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. 
Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Check Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.